Welcome to the Opus Crash Course. I'm your host, Jessica Nesterak. In 2013, Mexico's fuel market altered dramatically with sweeping changes that opened the country up to foreign imports and commercial development. This has extended opportunities to a wide variety of U.S. oil market players, from super majors to gasoline retailers. I'm with Opus editors Daniel Rodriguez and Justin Schneewind to talk about the fuel market landscape in Mexico. Daniel and Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for having us on. First off, Justin, can you just set the stage for me a little bit? What is the background of some of these changes occurring in the fuel markets in Mexico? You know, Mexico has been one of the biggest energy stories so far this decade, and really that got started with the energy reform led by the previous presidential administration of Enrique Peña Nieto, and that reform that they introduced brought private investment into the energy sector in Mexico in order to compete with and complement state-owned companies like Pemex, electricity provider CFE, to fulfill Mexico's growing energy needs. Yeah, and you know, as Justin was mentioning, in 2013, Mexico ended over 80 years of state monopolies once introduced the energy reform. And since then, the country was able to attract up to $200 billion in potential investments across the upstream, downstream power and natural gas markets. It just seems like there is such a large potential for new investments in Mexico after these set of reforms. Justin, how do you see things shaping up in the downstream sector? What are some of the companies that are expanding across Mexico currently? Yeah, the energy reforms have attracted a lot of recognizable big name players in the energy space. You know, on the fuel side, there's competition from Mexican players like OXO, Petro7, Glencore's G500. And we're also seeing movements into the country from some of the large U.S. players like Marathon, Bolero, as well as investments from some of the international majors like ExxonMobil, BP, Total, Shell. And we're seeing an evolution in how those companies have been targeting the markets in Mexico, starting with private imports moving from the U.S. into Mexico from pipelines and trucks from Texas into the northern part of Mexico to now seeing increasing levels of rail shipments that are heading deeper and deeper into markets in Mexico. And now discussions from BP and Shell that within the next year or two, they'll be bringing in waterborne barges of fuel to satisfy the demand that they've been developing in Mexico. You know, it's important what Justin mentions. You know, trucking took the lead in these race for private imports into Mexico, as PAMET still controls most of the infrastructure. You know, Novum was the first company to declare that they began exporting fuel into Mexico via truck. However, since then, major fuel shipments began happening in 2017 by Edson Mobile, Coke Supply and Trading, and Marathon Petroleum. You know, Edge used a different method to import fuel. For example, Edson Mobile in December began importing fuel in 2017, began importing fuel into Mexico Central region using unit trains. Meanwhile, Marathon was the first company, the only company to contract capacity at Pemex logistic open seasons, allowing them to use their terminals to import fuel. You know, both companies, Mobile and Marathon, were able to span across the country with the promise of a guaranteed supply with their independent logistics systems. After then, you know, Valero and Glencore and also Windstar followed suit. So it sounds, Daniel, as though there are some substantial infrastructure shortages in Mexico currently. Yes, that's correct. And that has played a big dynamic in how companies have expanded across the country. PEMET's infrastructure system is constrained. And at the same time, it hasn't been willing to share it with other companies to allow them to expand across the country. So how has that led to major international companies expanding into Mexico without the ability to import fuel, given these infrastructure constraints? 
So we've seen companies like BP, Total, Shell set up a retail network, start to develop demand, but supply that by Pemex. And that has allowed them to expand across Mexico and start to invest in new infrastructure. So as these private companies have started to invest in Mexico and develop demand and build out logistics systems, there's significant impacts already on the market share in the country. But yes, to your point, We've seen it being done either through private fuel imports or by supplying a system through Pemex's existing supply and existing systems. Daniel, what strategies have been the most successful in Mexico as the market grows? You know, building a retail network first, although supplied by Pemex, and on the other hand, building an independent logistics system first, I will say both strategies have proved successful for foreign companies. You know, earlier this summer, a third of Mexican retail stations have a non-Pemex brand, although the majority are still being supplied by the state-owned company. Meanwhile, you know, private companies that have set their infrastructure in place are importing 14% of the total demand for gasoline and diesel into the country, according to government data. Since Mexico began allowing private imports in 2016, Pemex terminal sales of diesel have found 30% and 15% for gasoline across northern states, such as Nuevo León, Tamaulipas, Sonora, and Baja California, thanks to truck and rail fuel shipments from the U.S. into these regions. Justin, is there anything holding either of these strategies back? Definitely storage is a concern on that front. You know, Since 1990, Mexico's fuel demand has doubled to more than 1.4 million barrels a day, and that's come without any significant expansion within Pemex's storage facilities. You know, The current presidential administration disclosed in Pemex's latest business plan that the company has usable storage capacity of about 15.5 million barrels, but that's only 60% of the total nameplate capacity for the company. You know, Mexico has a constrained logistical system, especially during peak demand season. Mexico has 24 to 72 hours of fuel demand stored, depending on region. And that compares to up to 30 days of fuel demand in storage in the U.S., for example. It's a pretty stark comparison. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we've also seen in recent years in Mexico, in the Bajillo region, in the central part of the country, a very populated region. You know, that's an area that has suffered supply disruptions, especially during peak demand periods like the Christmas holidays. It's striking, you know, almost half of Pemex capacity is unavailable because of lack of maintenance or, you know, it's age, it's all infrastructure that needs to be replaced. Mexico's logistic system needs a major expansion and Pemex alone cannot fund a major storage construction spree. In its 2020 budget, Pemex lists $150 million for capital expenditure for its logistics subsidiary. You know, this is not a lot of investment considering that it's one of the biggest logistic companies by ANSYS in the world. You know, Pemex will use 85% of these resources, of these $150 million, for pipeline maintenance to rehabilitate the Dos Bocas Marine oil terminal and contracting new vessels for its fleet, but not to build any new infrastructure for storage or to rehabilitate the existing one. So it sounds as though Pemex is somewhat hamstrung in its abilities on the infrastructure front, but what about private investment? Can other outside companies fit into and complement Pemex's efforts? You know, Mexico's energy regulator has granted permits for more than 40 new terminals with the capacity of more than 30 million barrels of storage. You know, those facilities, according to the Mexican government, should be completed within the next three years. But a lot of those new terminal projects have seen significant delays 
you know, a lot of it related to permitting processes and regulations from the federal level down to even municipal construction permitting and regulations. Into the coming years, we shall see private companies gaining for their market share as new major marine terminals are completed. For example, Marathon, Chevron, Trafigura, and BP have contracted several terminals across Mexico's west coast, such as the ports of Manzanillo, Topolobampo, Rosarito, and Ensenada. The combined capacity in these terminals exceeds 4 million barrels. Meanwhile, at Mexico's east coast, Valero is the sole off-taker of a major supply system being built by Enova, which is anchored in a new marine terminal in Veracruz, and that will connect with new terminals in Puebla and in Mexico City with a combined capacity of 4 million barrels. You know, meanwhile, Repsol, Shell, and Total, as well as Mobil, have taken positions at the port of Tutspan that will allow them to bring fuel from the U.S. Gulf Coast. Once these marine terminals are built, this will ease the infrastructure bottleneck private companies are facing to import large volumes of fuel into Mexico. So to shift gears just a little bit, in addition to a change in energy policy, Mexico has also seen a change in political regime in recent years. Justin, can you explain to me, how has the election of Andres Manuel López Obrador shifted Mexico's energy policy, and how has the market changed in the year since his election? Lopez Obrador, or AMLO as he gets called quite frequently, brought a vision of energy self-sufficiency throughout his campaign and now into his administration. You know, throughout this whole period, he's advocated for a very large role for Pemex within the nation's energy sector. You know, he's really seen the struggles with Pemex not as the problems of inefficiency by a state-owned and state-run company, but really as the problems of corruption and something that he can solve. So one of the main challenges AMLO will be facing to help Pemex become more efficient, to generate more revenue, will be addressing its debt load, which at more than $100 billion makes it the world's most indebted oil company. You know, so far, AMLO has been a very strong supporter of Pemex, and he set a number of very lofty goals on both the exploration and production, as well as the refining sides of the company. Yeah, you know, by trying to make Pemex a central role again in Mexico, you know, AMLO has created some uncertainty on the side of investors, but it hasn't stopped companies from trying to compete in a more open market in a country of more than 100 million people. Mexico is one of the last large energy markets to undergo liberalization, and it is very attractive, you know, especially considering expected declining demand going forward in the U.S. and Europe. Meanwhile, in Mexico, the middle class is expected to grow at long car ownership, which will increase fuel demand in the long term. Compared to the previous administration, has AMLO embraced the energy reform initiatives in the same way that his predecessor did? López Obrador promised he will leave the energy reform unchanged until halfway through his term. In 2021, he promised to review the energy reform and add according to the results. He has announced reviews of previously awarded contracts to investigate corruption, but so far he has not made many big changes to change the legislation underpinning the reform. Although he hasn't scraped the reform, he has halted its implementation, suspending upstream and power auctions, as well as Pemex farmouts and joint ventures with private companies. So obviously, Pemex seems a big thrust of the AMLO government's energy initiative. What is Pemex's strategy with respect to its refining initiatives going forward? On the refining side, Pemex has a pair of challenges that will attract a good bit of attention for the rest of AMLO's term and probably beyond. You know, both with the existing refineries and the planned new refinery. 
The AMLA administration previously announced plans to build a 340,000 barrel a day refinery in Dos Bocas in the state of Tabasco, which they promised to build at $8 billion in within three years. You know, the government voided the tender for that project after some of the world's largest engineering companies came in with bids and estimates at nearly double the price and nearly double the timeline. You know, after that, Pemex and Mexico's energy department decided to manage the development and the construction of this very large refinery on their own, really. You know, and the International Monetary Fund we've seen recently from them report raising some warnings about the impacts this large project could have both on the company's budget and the ripple effects that that project could have on the country and the government itself, considering the state-owned nature of Pemex. The current state of Pemex's refineries also require in-depth examination. The government has promised to rehabilitate them after years of underinvestment in maintenance and upgrades. The government will spend $650 million across 2020 and 2021 to return their utilization rate to their design capacity. Actually, they are just operating at 40% today of their nameplate capacity. However, this is only twice the average maintenance budget of a single U.S. refinery in a year, according to IHS Market. Now, the operation rates of the facilities have been weak for a while now, and things might be get harder. You know, over 30% of Pemex fuel yield is high sulfur fuel oil, which will be banned from being used for marine transportation with the IMO 2020 regulations. With growing pressure to turn Pemex profitable, the company's refining operations will be a huge area of focus and discussion in the coming years. You know, that forward look of the refining sector in Mexico is a big portion of what you guys cover in the Opus Mexico Fuels Report. To find out a little bit more about that report and to get a lot of other resources on the Mexican fuel market, please visit info.opusnet.com backslash Mexico. Justin and Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you for the invitation, Jessica. Yeah, great to be here. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you never miss an Opus Crash Course by subscribing wherever you connect. And while you're there, give us a shout out in the comments section. Thanks for listening to the Opus Crash Course. Talk to you soon.